Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Backstage Podcast. As you already know, I created this podcast in order to share with you all conversations with interesting individuals that have a profound desire to contribute to society. My guest today went above and beyond just simply contributing. Nicholas Macrozanaris is a professional athlete, a former sprinter who went on to represent Canada at two Olympic Games and many world championships. We talk about that incredible journey of his and everything that he has done since in order to remain active and, more importantly, a valuable citizen in our society. Stick around. I hope you enjoy the conversation. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Nice to meet you too. You know, <laughs> you got in okay. I'm gonna be honest with you. I sent you a message, and as soon as I I, I press send where my address was, and you sent me the two emojis, you know, the the shocked emoji there with the open mouth. <gasps> where do you live? I thought that's it. He's just gonna ignore the rest of the messages. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way he's coming down here. But it wasn't that bad. It wasn't. It was good. Roads are bad though. Montreal. Roads uh, atrocious, and I feel that in every. I, I felt I had a conversation with uh, one of my friends. Um, we're driving to Sh- uh, Sherbrooke for a competition, and he tells me, "Slow down, you might get a ticket. It's a eighty speed limit." But the thing is, it's so uh, unpredictable. Everything changes while you're driving. There's cones, there's roadblocks, bridges are closed. It's a continuous flow of ch- of chaos. And I don't think any logical person could keep up with so many uh, changes. And I think that could stand in court if you were to appeal your ticket and say... I think people have tried unsuccessfully, though. Yeah. The city, uh, I think Montreal, um, they uh, they absolved themselves of any, of any responsibility. It, it, it's just crazy, you know? And the excuse that the infrastructure is old, I don't think it stands because there's much older cities, especially in the U.S., and it's just mint. Mm-hmm. It's crazy the minute that you just pass, whether you whether you go to the south or even Ontario. Why is it better? I mean, what what are we missing here? I I don't understand. Uh, I think we've all had car damage. It's frustrating. Yeah, it's frustrating. It for me, uh, I just feel that um, driving through Montreal, uh, it's almost unbelievable. You know, you you find yourself. Uh, roadblocks you're going on one way uh, on a different street that usually is closed for you know different for cars coming the opposite yeah. side you find yourself finding very difficult and dangerous too and then you you have to skip the, the potholes yeah and take there short was, shortcuts. there was this thing online uh, i'm sure you've seen it where it has the car zigzagging and going straight. And it says in any city in the world, zigzagging, you're drunk, going straight, it means you're, you're sober. And in Montreal, going straight, you're drunk, and going zigzag, you're, you're, uh, you're sober. It's true. Uh, and, and you came in from Laval, eh? Yeah. You were raised, you grew up in Laval, or did you, your parents, like, you're from the original batch from Park X? No, I'm born uh, in Laval. Um, my, um, I'm born in Laval. I lived uh, in Vancouver for a small period of time when I was uh, 13, 14 years old. Okay. My parents moved over there, but originally from uh, Laval. Okay. And you still live there? Yeah. Uh, I think um, I'm happy there, you know, and uh, a lot of good 
childhood memories and I made a lot of good friends and uh everybody everybody especially now they seem to migrate out of Montreal. Uh and there was uh there's a statistic that came out now recently that uh I think it was today. Uh over 25,000 people leave Montreal. Left Montreal this year. They all left. I, the, the real estate is the real estate is just through the roof. I think that was our decision to buy a house here in the in the outskirts. I, I never wanted to live in the South Shore. You know, I was I, I was born like smack in the middle of the island in the chaos. Uh, for me, that was it. This is it. You know, even when I move out, it's going to be Montreal and not anywhere in Montreal. For me, Montreal was from Gouin to downtown the old port, and from the 15th to Saint Lawrence. Anything west of the 15 or east of St. Lawrence, you're not in Montreal. <laughs> you're not on the island. <laughs> Look, I think uh, people left the island of Montreal to, um, to, to live the lifestyle of a home and parks and a safe environment to raise a family. And uh, I think Laval uh, reflects that. Yeah. You know? But there's a lot of people coming into Montreal. There's a lot of them coming back. Uh, especially uh, in the uh, you know the Plateau Mont Royal, obviously, uh, but now recently uh, even Villeray Park Extension, it's booming. Those areas are going to boom. You know, there's a new university campus uh, coming into Park X now, and there's people just coming back because of the proximity, the accessibility. Um, they don't really care about the cost, though. I've seen I've seen development projects in Vill- especially in Villeray, where you know they buy complete duplexes and they just convert into like a cottage, it's right. one house. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you're walking by, and they're old neighborhoods. And you're walking by, and you're like, oh, what happened here? And it just looks like super modern, very hip. And you have all these families, instead of investing, you know, half a million dollars outside of Montreal or whatever, $800,000, you know, they just buy a house in Montreal and uh, they renovate it and they live there. Yeah. And they just deal with whatever crap yeah, comes think, with that. I know a lot of people that did not. And yeah. uh, sometimes it's, um, it's practical for them. For sure. For them to, to commute to work or, for other reasons, personal reasons, I guess, but um, it depends. See, for us, it wasn't a problem. The decision to come down here, one, um, my wife worked downtown. So when you leave here, um, I think it's the suburb that's the closest to downtown. You cross the bridge, at least you're on the island, you're downtown. Uh, and that helped. And for me, I, I never really had like a a watchdog over my schedule uh, working. So it was very flexible. So, you know, there was no stress. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't about me. It was more about my wife. And... Obviously, financially, it made sense. And I think a lot of people make decisions based on that now. But your neighborhood is a great place to raise a family. I think so. It's fantastic. I I was driving here. It's Mm -hmm. really nice. Yeah, I think so. When we got married, we lived downtown. Like, more downtown than you can get. You know, like, we were, like, just south of the Bell Center. And I loved it. But then you're also thinking, you you can't raise a family. No. You you can't raise a family. So eventually, we had, in the back of our head, in the back of our minds, we were like, we're going to have to leave eventually. Right. We, I remember my childhood when we were little, we lived in St. Dorothy and mm. um, it's something magical when you're, you have wide streets and you're playing hockey on the streets, you go to the park <laughs> and you, you play space. baseball and you, you know, you have uh, all of these great parks, uh, you're surrounded by great parks and it's safe and it's a good environment. I think um, very good memories with my friends and we're friends till this day yeah. after 30 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we still talk about it and reminisce about how amazing our childhood was. And I don't think you could uh, reproduce that, that in um, in the down-down core. No. no. No, I don't think so. Look, it's a whole other, it's a whole other dynamic. I love the chaos. 
I was brought up in Park X. I lived, uh, I mean, I was born in Park X. And for me, that it was just natural. Uh, and living downtown was, it was amazing. I still miss it. I still miss it. I, sometimes I tell my wife, I, you know, we drive through Montreal. I'm like, oh God, I miss downtown. I love the action. But like you said, uh, on the flip side, you see what you have now, peace and quiet. You can raise a family. There's no stress. You want to go play in the park, just walk. You know, we're right here. Uh, that would have been stressing me out so much on the island, especially downtown. Yeah. First of all, you can't <laughs> find a park. You know, Daddy, let's go play to the park uh, at the park. Yeah, okay, let's find one. You know, yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. walk around the block. It's not and really find a the park. It's like spot. a resting area for. Yeah. Let's find the greenest spot and uh, here, you know, <laughs> go play. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the athletics, man. Um, I think everybody knows uh, who you are in Quebec. Um, you made us all proud, obviously, two Olympics, Sydney and Athens. How how does this all start? How did this all begin? How do you how do you get an interest in in sports and athletics? Well. I think um, in anything, uh, you get inspired by watching or seeing something. And for me, um, I, I was in my living room. I was watching uh, the 1996 Olympic Games. Um, this is Atlanta? Atlanta. Yeah. That's where Donovan Bailey uh, broke the world record in the 100-meter sprints and represented Canada. Mm -hmm. And there was a big... Um, there was a big like they were hyping the race so the canadian has made the finals and um i was really looking forward to watching the the race and i remember that day very very good because I, right after the race that's where i got uh, the inspiration and like a, any kid you see something on tv you go out and you start mimic and and pretending and dreaming and for me i immediately start um i went on uh, the street Bellerio right in front of my house and I started running down the street and I measured a uh, hundred meters and I started timing myself. And so you had you had nothing to do with athletics before you hadn't, you hadn't ran nothing. Six, I was 16 years old. <coughs> I was 15 turning 16 because it was in July during the Olympics and my birthday is in August. And, um, you, 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 you know, I laugh at it now because, um, I started running on the street and dreaming and there's nothing to do back in 96, no internet, no yeah. iPads, nothing. You're outside all the time. And my brother and my father and my grandmother went to Greece. So I was home alone with my mom. So I was just kind of like, uh, it's a funny story because I would uh, run on the streets and my neighbors uh, find it very suspicious. Uh, a kid. <laughs> What's he running from? In the middle of the night. <laughs> Right after David Letterman, I would just kind of like have this energy. So I would go out there and start running. And, uh, you know, the neighbors, you know, I don't blame them. They called the police. I said, some, some maniac is making us uncomfortable running up and down the street. And uh, not walking, but like sprinting, right? And um, it's a funny uh, story that I share when I go do conferences. Uh, uh I got uh, a police uh, once came up to me and uh, so what are you doing? I said, I'm just getting ready. I'm going to represent uh, my dream is to represent Canada at the Olympics. Now having that conversation with a 15 year old uh, at uh, two in the morning, yeah. <laughs> the kid, the guy thinks I'm on some kind of uh yeah, right. Yeah. yeah and, right, kid. and he basically told me, uh, forget that dream, go home. You're disturbing the neighbor. See, I, I always thought that, you had started this from a young age and it's amazing now that you're telling me this that 
in just four years, you were able to uh, to make it to the Olympics. One would think that it's like a whole lifetime of just training and sacrifice and uh, four years, which I'm not, you know, I'm not downplaying the, the work there, but from 96 to 2000, then you were at the Olympics. 96, I saw Donovan run the Olympics and uh, 2000, I was in the same team with him. That's fun. That's incredible. Yeah. And I was... Um, I remember I was in a uh, medical room for uh, physio and it was just him and I. And um, it's rare to be, uh, he, it was rare for him to be alone. He had an entourage, mm. but it was just him and I, and we were having a conversation and um, you you could only, you, you know, you could say yourself, this is uh, probably the, this is the man that, Give me the inspiration and the, the motivation to start track and field. And today I'm here with him yeah. at the Olympics in sure. 2000. Mind-blowing yeah. for me, you know? I, I, I'm, still, I'm still impressed with the fact that, you know, in just four years. So how does this process start? Like, I mean, how do you, how do you get started? Did you, did you see someone? Did you go meet someone? Did you say, I want to race? Did you join the team? Or how, how does this happen? So, so I was not very good in school. And, uh, but the teachers in my school, in my high school were very, um, they gave me different opportunities and, uh, they brought me to a track meet and, uh, I ran, I didn't win, but I did well. And, um, this guy, uh, another man that probably changed my life, uh, Denis Arsonot, uh, approached me and gave me a business card. And he said, here, join our track club. Uh, it was a Laval Antilope, you know, and, I took this uh, card and I contacted him and I started training with um, with his club. And the, the thing is, for me, I was almost obsessed with uh, doing well in track and field. Mm -hmm. It was a very easy process. I loved it. You know what I mean? And um, when you're deeply, uh, if, when it's the only thing that matters and your social life is put on hold, and you don't feel like it's a problem, mm -hmm. you're going to excel rapidly yeah. uh, towards your objectives. And you're right, four years of training to make it to the highest level. Keep in mind that there's 40 million Canadians <clears throat> and there's only two spots to qualify every four years. So your margin wow. of error yeah. is virtually doesn't exist. So, And this, of course, is across Canada. Cross Canada. And not only that, you have to have, uh, an, you don't have to just be the top two in the country. You also have the Olympic standards that you have to fulfill because there's only 100 sprinters worldwide, mm -hmm. right? So uh, it's uh, a very select few. It's crazy. And in order for you to, to succeed, uh, you, you cannot be normal. Mm -hmm. You have to be uh, in, a, in a different planet. Well, yeah, no, there's definitely a, a thirst yeah, for uh, for what you're doing and a passion. Uh, it's it's still amazing, though. Uh, how old were you? You're, this is 16, 17 years old. 16, uh, 16 uh, years old. And um, um, the, 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 it was a very, uh, it, the road to uh, Sydney, Australia for four years, it was a, a very complicated road, you know, a lot of things have happened, uh, uh, learning curves. And, um, but when you have this, uh, incredible, like you said, thirst, it's easy to succeed. So I would, I would train and uh, I would work hard and, um, uh, it's, you know, tr what's beautiful about track and field. It's not like hockey or football. 
where you constantly have to prove yourself to scouts mm -hmm. and you always have to be on your on your game track and field is very unique uh tomorrow morning you could sign up to the olympic qualifications you show up and if you win and you have your standards you go to the olympics see that was a question i was going to ask you how do you qualify it would it would appear to me that there's a track record that you have to demonstrate that you have to prove uh, some qualifying uh, races so just like anyone can just show up race if you Anybody have good time just show up you have to be a good member of standing of athletics canada you register for $55 to compete at the olympic qualifications you finish top 2 you have your standards you go to the olympics it's very very wow. simple and for me you know what's interesting for me i was 19 years old i didn't have my standards leading uh, to uh, going into the olympic qualifications i remember it was in vancouver and uh, Victoria mm -hmm. and uh, in my qualification round I happened to run my standard had I not run my standard in the qualification round then it probably wouldn't qualify for the Olympics Wow! so I was able to run my standard in the qualification rounds and um, I went into uh, there was only two sprinters that had the standard it was myself and uh, Bruni Surin yeah. and uh, that's it. Uh, I got announced. Uh, I found out officially that I made the Olympic team in um, the Roots store. Yeah. Um, Roots uh, on uh, St. Catherine because it was the official sponsor of the sponsor, Canadian yeah. team. And, uh, you know, we didn't know. I, I It came so fast that I didn't know how to uh, enjoy the moment with my family. <laughs> I went to the Olympic. Uh, I thought it was. Um, I, I imagine this. I thought my parents at the time were divorced, and they're announcing the team. And my father thinks it's just like an individual thing that I have to go to. Not imagine how fast things yeah. came because I showed up over there. Everybody's there with their family and stuff, and I'm You're sitting. By yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no brother, no mother. We don't know what's going on, and I feel that today, as a coach, I feel like uh, I could guide athletes that are in that situation a lot better. Well, obviously, you've been through so much. So, but leading up to that point, um, there was still training. I mean, you met this uh, this person that you that you that you mentioned. You were training. I mean, you were racing. You were. Uh, we we were working hard. We were working hard, uh, very consistently. I was uh, I was uh, a sponge. I was extremely confident, very self centered. Mm -hmm. I wanted to succeed. Yeah, and I think some of those qualities are necessary if you want to do sprinting in an uh, individual sport. So I was really like uh, open to the idea of learning, working hard. Um, a lot of doubts because I was entering a sport that um, it was a very difficult sport. And um, for some strange reason, not a lot of people uh, believed in uh, my talent mm -hmm. or my uh, will. And um, But you, 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 you set short-term goals and uh, I started winning the provincials. And then I went out to like uh, Eastern Championships. I did very well there. And then after that... Um, when I had the opportunities, I was able to execute. And to get the opportunities are 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 difficult because you don't get your opportunities here in, in Quebec. You have to invest yeah, money and yeah. you have to go somewhere. And, um, you know, I don't come from a rich background. Mm -hmm. So um, you, you find yourself 
you don't have a lot of resources to to retake your opportunities, right? So I was fortunate. I I got sent to Vancouver. My dad sent me over there, and uh, um, I went there as a uh, not as an invited athlete, just as an athlete. And um, at the time, the the fastest uninvited athlete would enter the uh, international track classic over there, and I made my and I finished fourth. I finished fourth uh, as a relatively unknown. Yeah. So I started making my name over there. And um, and then uh, I went to uh, the the Olympic qualifications. And uh, I remember before that, I went to uh, Arizona for a training camp. And I think, I think that trip uh, made the difference. That trip made the difference. I was uh, in high altitude. Uh, which gives it you an changes edge. everything, yeah, for yeah. Sure. And I was able to stay there for two weeks and and run very good, high quality competitions mm-hmm. with high quality athletes from the states and all around the world. I was able to execute good races, uh, prove that I belong in in uh, you know in national team. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that had my dad not sent me over there. And it was a dis- difficult decision to make because it required funds. Yeah, for sure. So had my dad not uh, sent me over there, I think uh, to de- I would have made the Olympic team. My first Olympic team. I truly believe that. Knowing what I know now mm-hmm. as a coach, I understand how important it is to um, to to give opportunities. Just imagine this. You're running a competition with kids. Mm-hmm. And you're always finishing first by 10 meters. Yeah. And then I throw you into a competition where... You're no longer winning. You're being challenged. Yeah. You're going to find yourself doing a lot of mistakes in that race. Yeah. And you won't know how to manage that because you finally find somebody ahead of you. Mm-hmm. So you're not running your race anymore. You're running his race. Yeah. So I needed that opportunity to run a lot of races with uh, high caliber athletes. And uh, I had that opportunity. To challenge you and, pu- and to push you, of course, to, to, to perform. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that I think that was the... the uh, a very wise decision of my dad to to do what he had to do to send his son to go to that training camp in Flagstaff, Arizona. So, so how demanding is this? I mean, at that young age, you put school aside. Obviously, you know, friendships and uh, hangouts and all that stuff. That decision is taken. You're like, look, guys, I got to focus on what I have to focus on. What's happening with school now? Education. Do you just erase everything and you're just laser focused on one thing? Yeah. I got uh, offered a scholarship, different scholarships from uh, world-class universities in the in the states. Okay, but um, you, you're you you know forget social life. I mean, forget all that stuff. Yeah. But it was not it was an easy decision to make because I was enjoying the process yeah. of going what I had to do to to succeed. And for me, um, School was not my forte, you know yeah. what I mean? I had a very hard time in school. My yeah. mom was often in the, the principal's yeah, yeah. office, and I always had, like, uh, difficulties in school. So you found this gateway that kind of just represented what you wanted. Right. And the school, interestingly, the school gave me opportunities in that sense mm-hmm. because they brought me to a track team. And, you know, I was coaching a school the uh, few years back. Uh, my gym teacher... Uh, who was the principal of that school um, took me in as a head coach for the track team 
And uh, there was this kid that uh, was very, uh, there was a girl that was very receptive. She was coming to practice every single day. And she was, you know, motivated and she listened and she was executing the trainings and she was really uh, engaged in her work. And then uh, the school, uh, some school personnel came up to me and says, this person's not going to come to the track meet because she's lacking behind with her studies. Yeah. And I said, I, I, I fought all kinds. Yeah. I said, this girl is going to make the team, not because she was going to win, because mm -hmm. she was not talented enough to win. But I feel that... Um, had uh, that person had that kind of mentality towards me, I probably wouldn't have uh, that opportunity. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, no, I understand. So I fought hard and she made the team and uh, and she she had fun because, you know, you're working so hard in a certain category and you're penalizing the person um, while she's not doing good in, like, let's say math. Yeah. But for me, I think the school is very receptive to give me opportunities even though if I didn't excel in certain departments in school, they gave me other opportunities, which ultimately uh, worked to my advantage. Yeah, you're betting. You're betting on what uh, the kids uh, show interest in. No, yeah, and I and think you're, you're just developing that aspect. You said it the best. Yeah. Uh, uh, give opportunities to athlete uh, to people that are um, show interest mm -hmm. and a desire to succeed. I think um, that uh, school has given me that. Uh, you mentioned before the the difficulties in funding and in uh, supporting everything financially. Uh, this is what's crazy. I was doing some research, and I I honestly thought that um, amateur athletes were underfunded. And f for the longest time, I thought the government could have done uh, could be doing much better. And I and I did some re you know research and realized that Canada actually does fund amateur sports. And I thought the opposite was happening in the U.S., where I thought they were dumping loads of money into amateur sport, and it's not the case. The U.S. government doesn't give as much money as our government does. Uh, of course, the big difference is that they have all these corporate sponsors. So, I mean, in your case, how, do, how does this work? The, is Sports Canada involved? I mean, are you automatically taken under the wing of the Olympic Committee? Um, are you required to get funding? I mean, how does it work? Okay. So it's a good question. So first of all, the American system, how it works is that it starts through college and you have world-class facilities, world-class coaching, world-class everything. Mm -hmm. And you, they offer opportunities for these athletes to succeed with yeah. amazing competitions. It's just a complete different world. When they succeed, and you're breaking records and you're amongst the best in the world, do you think these people need help? Probably not. They're going to make their money through sponsorships, sponsorships and, and races. Yeah, yeah. And the, but the, the thing is, in, in, in on the contrast, in, in Canada, we don't have these world-class facilities and educations and scholarships and But that's coaching. mysterious to me because, you know, we have the corporations over here. There's some big ones that actually help. You know, they give money to... Um, to Canada's uh, Olympic Committee, <clears throat> should we be demanding more? No, the, the, my where, where I was going with that, uh, where I was going with that is that when when you have a talented kid, he needs support mm -hmm. because he shows potential. Mm -hmm. And when you bring him, look, I'll give an example. When I beat Tim McGunnery, I had Coca Cola, Reebok, I signed all kinds of contracts. I didn't need support from. You know what I mean? Desperately from the government, yeah. Because I made it, yeah. So the go the, the the system is uh, you're you're supporting an athlete when they reach a certain level. 
And I think what's important is to help an athlete to get to that level. Yeah. The development and then you process. sing for your soup. Then you, you you try to be marketable. You go out there and you try to yeah. get sponsors because you have potential and you know. But for me, I think I think there's a lot of cases like myself where there are super talented athletes in Montreal, and they just simply uh, never pierce through because of financial uh, difficulties. I truly believe that to develop themselves into into because um... I had I, I was in a unique situation. I had parents. Well, I had, uh, for example, my father walk a mile long of broken glass to see his son yeah. succeed. I don't think a lot of parents would go through that yeah. process. My father had the, the wisdom to understand that what he sees is very, very, very unique. Mm -hmm. You know, and what he sees is it's problem. Yeah. Because now we have to find ways to support that. And a lot of parents might see, oh, he is very talented, but we just don't have the means. Yeah. But so they just end everything. They're like, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, uh, like I said, my parents did a lot. Like, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of talented athletes um, that have a, a – and it, I think right now, slowly but surely, there's programs being in place to help – Uh, to create a to mold our a, athletes to, to yeah. create a successful path with less resistance to succeed i truly believe that because there's a lot of great organizations out mm -hmm. there uh, that are offering great uh, services great opportunities and uh, they're very supportive and uh, not only financially but different ways mm -hmm. so it, it's 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 getting a lot better so the sponsorships you're left on your own they're like okay look you got to find a sponsor good luck Here are some uh, leads or here are some potential people that may help you and you just got to go knock on the doors. Nobody's there to kind of guide you or to kind of represent you. Uh, well, you I had an agent for that. Okay. I had two agents, actually. And uh, well, I, I think I come from a very unique situation um, because when things come rapidly, uh, very unre un unrealistic situation, uh, You have to deal with that situation in a unique way. I, I, I Things came very quickly for me. Saw Donovan Bailey four years later. I'm in the same team for at sure. the Olympic level. That never happened. It's not natural. It's yeah. not. So for, for me, it was a unique situation. Things were coming so quick. And uh, it was a good problem, but it was also a problem that was very hard to manage. Especially at that age, when you're not really used to any of this stuff. <laughs> Well, Reebok throwing money speaking, at you, Coca-Cola, uh, 17-year-old kid. You're like, what? Well, no, uh, Reebok came after uh, I beat the world record holder and I was ranked number one for five consecutive weeks. Okay. Once that happened, everything's changed. Then the door starts knocking. Yeah. Everything's changed after that. Then um, completely, um, you know, everything did you, changed. Did you ever feel uh, or um, uh, we're in a situation where... You felt that it wasn't enough. You felt like, damn, man, I, I wish there were more. I could do this, or I can go train there, or I could be uh, meeting up with uh, you know other uh, top coaching staff, uh, and you just couldn't do it. I I had this conversation with a close friend of mine, and I remember we were sitting at actually uh, at a restaurant in Mirage, in Montreal, uh, in Laval, and he he kind of said to me, "Don't leave any regrets, because one day you'll be older." And you don't want to have any regrets. The what ifs. And I don't have any regrets. Okay. I've done everything I had to do and more. I've lived in Florida. I trained with great coaches. I tried everything to succeed. 
Uh, had I obviously had I've done things differently, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. In hindsight, I know there's things I could have done differently, but these are things that you don't want to think about. Yeah, because the to to dwell on the past is very unhealthy for the person. So. So, I tried my best at the time, knowing what I know. And everything, I guess, is part of a learning curve, right? Um, and I mean, we've all been through uh, different situations like that. And especially when you're growing up, sometimes it could be frustrating. You know, you're like in your early 20s. Uh, you have a vision. You want to go get it. Things aren't happening. You don't have the mental capacity to tell yourself, okay, look, let's just process this. This is part of the learning uh, curve. Uh, let's take it all in, reassess, get better. Do, were you at that stage in your life where you had that kind of mindset or were, were, there was like a lot of frustration like damn why isn't this happening what question i i think the two things um when you're young and you're chasing a dream and you're ultra confident you know you know what i mean you don't care about all this the the hurdles and the obstacles you're just extremely confident yeah. You just go through the storms, mm -hmm. the ups and downs. You just go and you're relentless because you you want it. And you you have this, you know how teenagers are. Right? You walk around like you're the, you know, you're the shit. And, uh, the, and that was kind of like what I resembled. I really wanted it and nothing could stop me. I was very confident, very, um, you know, I see some uh, pictures of me uh, or videos. I was really, really like when you want something so yeah. badly. Um you find ways, mm -hmm. you find ways. And, uh, but I think to answer to your questions a little bit more precisely, I think it would have done me very good if I had a coach that was able to, um, um, concentrate all this energy very precisely in one direction. In the right, yeah. And, uh, because when you don't know where sometimes what's right and what's wrong, and you don't have a coach that's able to understand and be more like a psychological coach, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And, um, and, and motivate you and guide you the right direction and focus that energy where it matters. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, um, the outcome would have been better in terms of results. And, uh, because you know what I mean? Uh, I was not from a, a, a family, a background. My family was not really involved in sports. Uh, you know, my we're not doing uh, organized sports. My father, my mom, you know. So I was only being guided by certain people locally. Yeah. But they did the best that they can knowing what they know. Yeah, right? of course. But I think had I been a little bit more supportive uh, – psychologically i think it would have been uh, an advantage for me so how does how does the coaching work you have a separate coach for yourself uh, there's how many how many um how many uh, athletes running in the team now what do you what do you mean how many with athletes? you you had the, you, you had what 5 10 uh, sprinters we were in in sprints in the relay and everything between 6 and 7 they each have their own coach depending if they're from the same club it depends. Uh, for me, I was from a look. Uh, for example, Donovan and Bruni had the same coach. Yeah, they're living in Austin, Texas, under the supervision of Dan Paff. Yeah, okay. Uh, I was in Montreal. Um, uh, let's say Priya Brown at the time was training in Mississippi with another coach. Yeah. So they're like scattered apart. But when we get together, we try to have a collective goal and try to do an, uh, what 
you know, try to win the ultimate. Uh, the coaches, they follow you guys or uh, the Olympic Committee has like kind of a more centralized team and they're like, okay, uh, now we're uh, we're taking over over here. Thank you, guys. And uh, they, the coaches try to follow. The problem is that uh, the Olympics, um, it's extremely uh, guarded. Um, you need the accreditation and the credentials to, to enter certain places. Okay. And um, most coaches that are not part of the national team don't have those credentials. No so way. they're sitting out on the sideline. The only time they can make an exception is the day of competition. They could have like a uh, temporary pass yeah. in the warm-up area so the coach could supervise and just kind of go through uh, their routine. Uh, so for me, I had that. Uh, I was lucky because my two my coach came and – uh, it was by my side, but he was not with me throughout the whole, yeah, the trip. whole process. Um, tell me now, the, all these competitions, nationals, world, uh, the the games of the Francophonie, you know, Pan American Commonwealth. So, and we had this conversation before. None of this matters to qualify for the Olympics. I thought that all this was just a process. You got to go through all of these competitions uh, in order to qualify, but it's not the case. So no. you just run them what because you're part of the team and the team needs to send the representatives or the right, right. You you do get funding when you're a national athlete. You do get funding, which is about fifteen hundred dollars a month. Okay, and this, you know, uh, pays your expenses so you could continue training. Okay. And uh, when they call when they call up on you and they say we want you to represent Canada at the World Championships, the Commonwealth Games. The francophone games, whatever games, uh, Pan-American games, you have to step up to the plate and go and represent your country the best that you can. For sure. And that's that's basically your job. Yeah. You, you have a job where you're you're representing, you're like... Uh, you're, you're Canada's ambassador. To the uh, international level in athletics. And I think it's the... It's an incredible uh, honor to, to be able to be in that situation. And, well, and obviously... Run. Look, the Olympics is such an exclusive uh, event, right? Uh, and I can only imagine the, the feelings and all the emotions. This is your dream. And uh, and in practically no time, four years, you start training. How's this like? Your first experience in the Olympics. It, it was not. Forget, it, and forget about getting, you know, uh, called onto the team. Obviously that, you know, you're excited, you're happy. And I, I can only imagine that the excitement from that versus to actually flying uh, into Sydney and experiencing this whole thing, it, it's just out of the world. Yeah, it came, uh, everything came fast. And uh, my, listen to this, uh, it was post 9-11, right? So the Olympics were truly a, a world gathering event where everybody was together and, and celebrated the Olympics uh, globally. Mm -hmm. And uh, in Sydney in 2000, it was a special moment. Um but it was, it was like my parents weren't there. Mm -hmm. was, imagine now you're 19, you're on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have one credit card, a student credit card with a $500 limit. Yeah, yeah. And that's all you have. Yeah. And you're like in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And you're depending. And thank goodness that the Canadian team uh, takes you under the wing throughout the whole process. Yeah. So you don't have to worry about live, staying in hotels and stuff like that. So... It was nice. What was more special for me was in Athens, 2004. I had the Bank of Cyprus that sponsored me uh, and my family. Mm -hmm. And they paid for my mom and my father, my brother's trip. 
their hotels, their per diems, and everything you could imagine. It's also special because you're you're back home, right? Right. And wow. uh, there's like the sense of pride. Right. And and to to get welcomed the way I got welcomed from the Bank of Cyprus and the way they they uh, they welcomed me and my family and they gave the made my experience uh, unforgettable. It's uh, was the fact that you're Greek. Uh, a contributing factor in that? Yeah, because they did that not just for me. They did that for, let's say, I think uh, it was five different athletes. One uh, snow, um, one sailor from Australia. He was of Greek, Greek origin, descent, yeah. Yeah. and of uh, an American. And they what they what they thought is we're gonna welcome these uh, Greek boys and girls. Uh, from and bring their family in and make it an ex, um, a special moment, mm-hmm. and it is because for me I didn't have to worry about getting hotels. The first Olympics I didn't have we didn't have the means mm-hmm. to fly my parents, mm-hmm. to, so we just I went by myself. But in 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 Athens, uh, two thousand four, I I, uh, I got um, my parents to come and watch me run at the uh, Olympic Stadium in Greece. Um, I was treated like a Greek, providing yeah. I was representing Canada. My last name was very, very no, yeah. you know, very Greek, and the experience itself it was amazing. And you know, I'll add on top to that, um, I felt proud to be Greek. But I'm, I'll tell you another story that I don't tell often enough. Uh, one day, uh, just before the Olympics, I um, I was preparing to leave, uh, and I get um, I get a random mail. Uh, and I open it and it's the Greek community of Calgary. Okay. And the Greek community of Calgary says, you make us proud. Um, uh, we had a small fundraiser. We raised, uh, some money for some cause and we had a little bit of extra. That's and, amazing. Yeah. And we issue you a thousand five hundred dollars for spending money while you're in Greece. And it's it's amazing. That's yeah, amazing. Just on their own. Just yeah, on your own. Initiative. And you know what? It's it's. I never had a chance. You know, when when uh, you're on top of the world and you're doing extremely well, um, and you you don't have, you know, you're a young guy. Uh, you don't appreciate that gesture. Not until you're 38 and you start realizing, fuck. I should have I should have uh, reached out to them and sent yeah. them something, yeah. which I didn't because at the time everybody was giving me things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when and you feel like all uh, you feel um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You the feel sense like of entitlement. Ha- yeah, yeah. Because now you know you guys were not there, but now why should I go and break my head? Yeah, you yeah. want to give it? The, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I had the wrong mindset. Yeah. I had the wrong mindset, and today uh, there's certain moments that I would have. Uh, done things differently yeah. especially those moments because um even though i didn't you know what i mean uh, i just felt that uh, i should have done something uh, to show my appreciation and it's too bad i don't know who they are yeah i don't that know is who too they bad. Are. it's so i'm pretty sure i have you know if i go through my box of memorabilia i have the letter i'm but i have like boxes and yeah. boxes and boxes of i checked it's too bad but but it's still nice to think that you know just random people, communities or organizations are looking at you and uh, they, they they feel the sense of pride, uh, and obviously the fact that you're going to Greece. I mean that that that's just spectacular. See, we're raised over here. Uh, 
you know, my bedtime stories weren't uh, Little Miss, you know, Red Riding Hood or whatever. You know, my father used to read us, uh, you know, stuff from, you know, the mythology and, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, my bedtime story was, you know, the, the Trojan War, you know, like different myths, you know, uh, and the Olympics for us at my house was just something spectacular. You know, for us, it's like the 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 biggest achievement uh, any athlete uh, can can attain. Right. And just the fact that you're there is special. Uh, and the fact that it's happening where it initially started, uh, I think, you know, that was a special moment for oh, any yeah. Olympian, I think, going, oh, yeah. going to Greece. Oh, yeah. And especially, I mean, people, you know, uh, athletes such as yourself that have, you know, the Greek origin, you're going back home. I mean, it's huge. You, you want to hear something funny? Uh, my father never missed a race, yeah. ever. He was a uh, present. Um, he drove eight hours. He did yeah. what he had to do to see his son yeah. compete. Um after the Olympics, he saw me compete in the Olympic Stadium in Greece, yeah. and I, he just completely lost interest. He never came to watch me race, and I once approached him. I go, how come you're not yeah. coming to watch me race? He goes, Nick, when you see your son run at the Olympics in Greece, it's and a, you're in the stadium. It's the top. You, the you, fuck you, you want me to come now to yeah. Quebec City and watch you run? Uh, some, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. He's not. Yeah, a, yeah. I lost interest now. Good luck for everything. Yeah, there's a sentimental uh, <laughs> feeling eh, attached to all this. And it's uh, like, where am I going to go now? <laughs> drive to Toronto for five hours. To go watch back to you. Greece and I'll come. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I lost interest. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him because it's the, uh, like, what is it? The You can't go any higher than that, right? And uh, how do you control? How do you control your composure? How do you control the emotions? How do you, how do you focus? I mean, and, you know, we're going back to what we were saying before. You're still a young guy. Uh, you know, emotions are just flying everywhere. You're back home. Your your family is there. Um, there's so there's so much on your shoulders. How do you just zero in on what you need to do? You know, I do conferences, and as I go around and talk about things, uh, I start realizing things. It's almost like therapeutic. By talking to your experience, you start to understand things better. Yeah. And um, when you are in the, your back is against the ground, uh, against the wall, and you need to succeed. That was my situation. You know what I mean? Uh, and I'm not. Uh, I'm not. You know, I used to keep these things uh, secretly, mm -hmm. uh, but I talk about it now because it's who I am and I'm proud of who I became, right? And when you're in the situation where you have no choice, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just find ways to go through and you're very, very focused. Believe me, extremely focused. When you have no choice where, you know what I mean? You have nothing. Everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. You reach rock bottom yeah. and this is what you have to do. Yeah. Because I was in that kind of situation. You know, uh, six months, uh, I remember one day um, during 2002 holidays, right? I went from uh, trading in my petrol points for uh, egg sandwiches during the holidays. Yeah. That's the reality of where I come from. Yeah. And when you go from that to being uh six months later amongst the best sprinters in the world yeah and you're in i love telling this story because it's a funny story uh and you find yourself in a, a very chic restaurant that reebok brings you to celebrate your world championship yeah. performances and some guy approaches you and he knows who you are yeah. and he starts talking to you and 
I'm very receptive. I'm talking to him and I'm having this beautiful conversation. I'm asking him what he's doing. I have a two-way conversation. I have no idea who this person is. And to find out that when he left, uh, it was the Prince uh, of Monaco, Prince Albert. You have no idea who it is. And six months ago, I was eating egg sandwiches, trading my my petrol point sandwiches. That's the contrast that I come from, right? Yeah, yeah. So when you're in that situation, you find ways to succeed. You're yeah, yeah. very, very hungry and very, very focused. So these races... And I have... You know, I train athletes and I tell them, I have no pity for you. Because if you want to succeed, it's not all roses. You yeah. have to go through a lot of shit. You have to s- struggle. You have to work hard. You have to feel nauseous. You have to puke. You have to, you have to be so engaged to succeed in track or any sport. Yeah. So... So yep. you 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 ran the 100 meters. That's it, and the relay and the relay four by one relay. Both uh, both Olympics. Yep. Yeah. Uh, finished 44th uh, in 2000 and uh, 11th uh, in uh, or 12th uh, in Athens. But if you remove all the other athletes that got tested positive over time, I probably dropped down to eight. <laughs> that's that's crazy. Yeah. This is this is a topic that comes back every single year. Every single year. It's always going to be there. Well, you have Alex Harvey, the the uh, the, the Winter Olympic, the the um, uh, the skier who retired, and the only thing they kept talking about on the radio was how unfortunate this guy has been in his entire career that he had to compete with uh, other athletes that had either tested positive or uh, they were under uh, you know whatever drug uh, uh, enhancement. Uh, and it sucks. Like your whole career goes by. You could have you could have been much more successful. You could have reached you know many many heights in mm-hmm. your career, and you didn't. It's all t- yeah, it's all like it's too bad. It's too bad. But in the end of the day, uh, I you know I'm wiser today, and the uh, the way I would have uh, the advice I would have given myself when I like. Uh, knowing what I know now is that um, you cannot let that bother you. Yeah. As soon as you start getting preoccupied of thinking and what others might be doing, then you're screwed. Yeah. You, you know, you don't, you just have to uh, have this mentality and not giving a, yeah, just go, you know what I mean? And who cares? Let them take whatever they want to take. Yeah. You have to go even harder and you have to have that kind of mentality. Because the doubt, uh, or when you're there's a small uh, doubt, that's where uh, it's the beginning of your fall For in sure. athletics. So how how does the level of competition change from all these uh, other competitions? So you're doing all these. Uh, do you do you run into the same athletes, or it just changes drastically from you know the Pan American Games or you know the the Commonwealth to the Olympics? There there are listen there are the usual suspects that are extremely talented. And then there are people that just come and go. And I was fortunate to have uh, a 10-year career on a national team. And I was able to go through and experience a lot of different sprinters. But then there's the usual suspects that you kind of cross uh, during the uh, Super Grand Prix and Golden Leagues and these kind of things that you go around and you see them. And they're like the, the top of the top. So, 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 how do you feel? Like, you you get to the Olympics, uh, you're pumped, um, you don't make podium. Does that affect you, or do you still feel a sense of accomplishment? Um, what goes through your mind? It, it would bother you if you know you didn't do what you had to do a hundred percent. 
it's all relevant uh, if you know um you know in track and field you cannot lie to yourself and i'll explain what i say to my athletes if you're supposed to do 150 meters and you do 145 meters and if you're not supposed to eat that burger and you eat one burger every month, if you're not supposed to sleep at a certain time, all these things that you do that are not correct, subconsciously, <laughs> your mind knows that. Yeah. So when you go to the Olympics, uh, it's going to come and haunt you. Because when there's 100,000 people in the stadium and you say to yourself, am I ready? Had you cut corners continuously leading up to your preparations, you're going to say yourself, I'm not ready because you don't lie to yourself. Yeah, yeah. So in the end of the day, I understood that very, very uh, early. Um, I give my 100%. Yeah. And that's what God gave me, my, my natural talent. The way that I was able to do, I gave my 100%. I didn't win a medal. Yeah. But I know I did it honorably. And I know that I did my 100%. How does all the media attention play into this? The it's, it's positive. It's positive. I used to kind of get entertained by getting trashed a little bit by the media. Yeah. Because you think about it, you're, <laughs> you're how many, how many racers, uh, how many sprinters racing in the hundred meters in the Olympics? Not many, hundred. No, from Canada. Two. Two. So you know that all media is just zero focused on you two. Okay. Sometimes three depends yeah, yeah. on circumstances, but yeah, you, you, and Unfortunately, sprinters get more exposure than a staple chase runner, yeah, you know, yeah. so that's the reality of the sport. Um, but I felt it was nice. I mean, the media has always been fair with me, mm -hmm. extremely fair. They're, uh, I've, you never felt pressure? They're very fair. They, they, they reported me. They're good people. They wanted me to succeed. And uh, when they felt like I was a little bit of a, a brat, you know what I mean? They would kind of like expose it. And when I needed them... Uh, even post or career of athletics, they were very receptive to me uh, when I wanted to talk, you know, provide, um, promote my track club. And uh, they're, they're good people, you know what I mean? They they gave me, and track athletes need exposure mm -hmm. because otherwise who would give you a dime if the you money. don't get an exposure, yeah. right? So they, 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 had a, they have an important role in amateur sporting across Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, it's important to uh, to underline the efforts of all our athletes, mm -hmm. not just track athletes, uh, all our athletes, because it gives the light in the end of the tunnel for those who work extremely hard. And it's important to underline their efforts. Very important. Uh, so, so the athletic uh, career ends. You make news again a couple of years ago. Uh, you're running uh, for politics. This is obviously something that interests me, uh, particularly because of my background. Uh, how does something like this happen? I mean, I know I can, I can, I have an image. I have a, I have a pretty good understanding of why and how. But I, I want to hear your take on how this just occurs. How do they come after an athlete? Um. So, <clears throat> I think uh, what what happened was um, when I. Retired from track and field, from competitive track and field. I've become very um, involved in my community. Yeah, I've been uh, a board member at a, a terrific community center in Laval, Centre Sablon, and I'm doing my seventh year. Okay, um, it was the best decision that I made because I was able to, um, you know. It's the reality of life, understanding how things work. And giving back, I guess. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I'm extremely proud of, um, very, very proud of, 
is that um, I worked for two consecutive years to raise money and uh, by doing a running event in Laval. And we raised money to go and buy a uh, electric chair so people with disabilities could go in and out of the pool safely. Mm-hmm. Till this day, five years later, six years later, it's still there, it's still operational and people still use it. Yeah. And for me, it's an effort that I, an energy that I invested, but uh, it pays dividend even till this day. For sure. So I'm very satisfied with that effort that I did. In 2013, I was nominated as a volunteer of the year in Laval. Um, I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. I was always receptive to school systems, going out there and trying to uh, promote uh, healthy living and uh, help any athlete that has the, um, you know, any athlete that's an aspiring athlete that's looking to to succeed in their own dreams. I try to help out and give them a word of encouragement. I was very, very uh, engaged in my community. And um, um, I feel that, in the municipality level, it's a great platform to to amplify all the good things that you do because you have a platform. Mm-hmm. And I felt when I was offered that opportunity, I said to myself, um, they offered me one early into the uh, spring of the election year. And the district that uh, they offered me it was a great opportunity, but I just didn't feel comfortable. I, I think you're going to represent something that's that's important to you. And I, I wasn't familiar with that district. And I just felt that, you know what I mean? Um, I was not interested. Yeah. But then they, they offered me 35 days before the elections uh, in St. Dorothy. Mm-hmm. And that's the, the district that I mm-hmm. practically grew up mm-hmm. in. And I have great memories of there. And uh, I felt it was an, a, a great opportunity. For- this is 2012, right? This is recently. This is like this past elections, last year, 2008. Yeah, uh, 17? 17. 17. Already two years. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, 17. Man. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, so this recently, the past elections, and for me, St. Dorothy, uh, I had the... Uh, it's an opportunity for you to get involved and represent the voice of the people. And felt one of the exercises that's most important for me. I feel like I'm campaigning already. I'm campaigning. I'm preparing myself. <laughs> already? What does that mean? Because <laughs> well, I have to... Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> I'm campaigning already. Uh, <laughs> I feel that by going, doing the exercise of going door to door and listening to uh, people's concerns, it gives you a good understanding of what's... You start prioritizing what's important. Yeah. And and you know uh, and, and did, I, you, did you ever think that okay yeah politics that's something i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna do or did they approach you and then that kind of opened up a little i got approached in early 2011 yeah. after my career but i was not interested in that but i feel i would never be interested um to get involved in provincial or federal uh politics because i feel that other people could do that better uh, at least for now you'd be surprised yeah uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you, you'd be surprised. I know, I know. Uh, but, but I think, like I said, municipal. Uh, it's it's not. A, I love what I do. Right. It's not a. It's, it's well, first, not a job. well, first of all, municipal politics. You're you're the front line, right? It's all the services, uh, and uh, it's the, the 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 proximity to the citizens. It's the closest proximity to the citizens. Um, so it would make sense if you're involved at a community level and you're engaged. Uh, I think, I, I mean, based on my experience, it's not uncommon uh, for parties 
to go and look for people that have a reputation or that are popular or that have accomplished uh, certain things in their lives because it boosts their image, it boosts their popularity. And obviously, every party just wants to win, right? Right. So when you have, you know, Nick Macrozanaris running in uh, in St. Dorothy, we went to get a, you know, a national athlete, an Olympian, it boosts the image. But that's from the party's perspective. You understand? Uh, And very often what happens is that the the parties don't really um, brief or they don't really uh, give all the expectations to to their candidates. Is that something that happened to you? Did they tell you, look, okay, this is the writing. Good luck. Ciao. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much. uh, I wasn't quite sure. I was learning uh, how to campaign on it while I was doing it. Mm -hmm. And I feel that in politics, it's very unfair the way it's uh, structured. And I'll explain why. I had, uh, and you probably, you know, we could talk about that. Uh, Maybe you disagree with me. But for me, I felt it was a a big disadvantage leading into that uh, election because uh, people that previously run have data of those who have participated in the voter turnout in a sense where if there's 13 or 15,000 people that, uh, and the the participation was 4,000 people that voted, Mm -hmm. you don't know, you have a list of the people that voted, Mm -hmm. but you don't know what they voted for. Of course not. Yeah. So, but when you have this information and you know, there's so uh, low voter turnout, turnout, you could target those who participate. Of course. And having this information. But you didn't have that? I didn't have this information. But that's strange. I didn't have this information. So I was knocking uh, well, I was, you were wasting your time. That's what you were doing. Basically, I was knocking uh, out of 10 doors, maybe out of 20 doors, one person votes. So, and considering those, uh, I, I still feel that I did extremely well. But you see, this, this is something that you build over time. I don't know how it works. Um, I mean, I was doing this for over 11 years. So obviously from one election to the next, there's much more data that we put in. Um and uh, you use that, that right? So I don't know how, at a at a municipal level, how the parties because they have this information. Well, be, keep in mind the the, <laughs> the parties, both parties after Vion Cool era, are were completely new. Completely, everyone's new. a rookie. Yeah. So the first election went through. The, the the party that was most prepared got this va- valuable information, but other parties didn't have this valuable information. They didn't have a structure, an infrastructure to understand this valuable yeah. information. So you, there was a blowout in past elections that the party in power won because they had a massive advantage. That's the reality. And had I had this information, I would have targeted people. And I think I'm a reasonable guy. You come and talk to me. I listen to you. I think, and you know what? People that vote, they're going to say, I'm going to vote for the guy that actually took the time to knock at my door mm-hmm. and talk and see me. But I would do the same thing if I had this information. For sure. So it's it's a very... Uh, but, but it's all strategy. Um, you know, I, I, I've seen so many elections in my time, uh, you know, the last, you know, over the last 11 years. There's people that have no clue how to campaign and there's people that campaign strategically. And the information that you're talking about is obviously the key. Uh, you map out your area. Where do we do good? Where do we do bad? You look at the st- statistics. Uh, where did we come close? You know, uh, and there's different areas that you work. At the end of the day, the election is about bringing out your vote. It's not about convincing. It's too late to convince. I think people are going to, they either have their minds already made up or 
following the national campaign, they're eventually going to make up their mind. But your goal, it's all about numbers. Who votes for me? Let's get these people out. And then where can we work on improving from the last election? Right. Right? Right. I Look, I think I have a massive advantage now to the person who is going to run uh, in that district. Because yeah. I have information that is very valuable. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I was going door to door. And it's you. It was a big advantage for me because there was a lot of things to talk about. You know, my background, this, yeah, that, yeah. and a lot of people made the decision of what they're going to vote. You know, uh, in the early uh, later part of the stage, you had an app with uh, the people that says um, adversary, whatever. Yeah. And I, I, I had a, a, you know, it was easy for me to talk to these people and uh, and, and convince them to say, you know what, yeah, you know. I enjoyed the process. It really was an incredible uh, experience. I loved it. Uh, it was. I was sad that it was over because um, I'm a people's person. Yeah. I like to uh, to be able to talk to them. And it's too bad because I think it's sad. I'll tell you why it's sad. You have a two-time Olympian who devoted his life in athletics, who I think understands things in a very, very unique way. Mm-hmm. And not once did anybody from the city contact me for some kind of advice on what we could do. Yeah, and I feel that that it's narrow minding. Uh, it's short sighted yeah. to not to be able to use your your best and certain departments. So now we have people who have never done sports in in and that's in charge of uh, sports infrastructure yeah. Yeah. and programs within the city. And how could he possibly do good decisions if he hasn't devoted his life in athletics or in sports in general? Or at least consult the professionals. Maybe they have. Yeah, but the thing is. Um, Fair enough. I lost the elections, but I'm still open to. Uh, I was there for the right reasons to yeah. help make good decisions. For sure. And um, because now you're labeled, that's what it is. You were the adversary. We're not going to ask him to help us. He ran against us. There's this whole other uh, faction in politics where, like I told you, I and I've done this for many years. I don't think I've met anyone that has done politics for the wrong reasons. And whether it's, you know, in our party or in the adversaries' parties, I f- firmly believe that everyone is there because they believe in, uh, in uh, that they can contribute. Of course, they, they think they can reach that uh, differently. They have a different ideology, they have a different uh, perspective, and they have a different approach. Uh, and that's respectable. But I haven't met one person who's come into politics with the wrong intentions. You understand? Right. Uh, but let me, let me add to this, though. You get into politics, and then once you're into politics, I could understand how uh, your your influence to do decisions that sometimes are against of what your your your, your you know your interests. Mm-hmm. I see that because uh, you don't want you don't, you want to please everybody, and you want to go and you know what I'm saying. And yeah, well, I, first of all, first of all, you can't please everybody. Uh, now, going into office and then realizing that what we were campaigning on isn't uh, realistic anymore, or it's realistic, but we're going to have to approach it differently. Uh, the funds we thought were there aren't there anymore. Things do change. Things do change. And of course, that's why there's an opposition there to make sure that uh, everything that you set out to do, are you doing it? Where are you? Why are you backing out? Uh, you know, that's the job. You know, that, that's politics, basically. That's what you're getting into. But with respect to you, um, First of all, I, 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 I love the fact that when we see candidates um, engaging 
uh, in politics. Um, uh, let me let me get that back. I, I, I always love seeing people that have the expertise that you have, not necessarily in athletics, but in any expertise that make the decision to contribute to society. It's not an easy decision. It's, not, it's, it's really not an easy decision. So that's why I was very interested in, in discussing with you because obviously you have a huge track record. You have uh, you know, uh, uh, an excellent career in athletics. You've represented our country. And then, I, I don't know, I mean, I, I, I didn't follow you uh, outside of that spectrum and then suddenly i see your face on a on a on a on a poster and i was like that's interesting you know they, they they go they get the athlete obviously it's to promote the party um and, and it's interesting for me to for someone like you to actually jump into that into that arena and to want to contribute to a higher level uh nothing having to do with sports you know i mean you're going into politics now uh and you're bringing your expertise uh, into that arena, of right. course. You know, I I tell you um, two <coughs> things. When a reporter first asked me, um, it's tough, and y- you know, the I replied, it's easy when you're doing things for the right reasons. Yeah, it's it's easy. It's natural, man. You you you're you're enjoying yourself because you're doing it for the right reasons. And um, you, when I entered, I was like pro. Well, we need sports. I think sports are super important through the school systems. I think sports uh, is ultra important. We should have great infrastructures, not only in track and everything, but in in, in the end, you're going door to door and you start realizing the priority. It's not a priority. It's not a priority. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, and then you start realizing maybe it's important to me, but to other people, uh, it's less important, right? So you just have to kind of like uh, make a decision according to that. But uh, for me, it was fun. It was fun. I, I'm, I'm. Were you at all involved or uh, followed politics before, or it just happened like as a surprise that they they approached you? I I think I was involved in a way where I was constantly uh, getting invited uh, throughout the years uh, to the city city hall parliament as an Olympic athlete to uh, under to recognize or photo ops and stuff like that. So I was involved in that sense, but yeah. not really in uh, with a. I didn't think of being in that situation where I'm actually running as a candidate. That never crossed my mind until the opportunity was uh, given to me. And it was this, you know, when someone gives you an opportunity, um, you know, I'm a go-getter. I feel that uh, it's a good opportunity. Uh, I think I could succeed in, in doing so, uh, if I were elected. And I just decided to go forward. And it's that's a decision a lot of people have a hard time with because it's it's not easy to, to uh, put everything on hold and start campaigning and start uh, – it's a lot of energy and a lot of uh, time that you have to uh, put in, but um, especially especially if you don't come from, um, you know, the environment, you know, you're thrown into a campaign. Did you have a team? Did the uh... no? I don't have nothing, but I, I will say one thing. For me, I mean, I I said to myself, um, it's a twin sword in a sense where. Whether I get elected or not get elected, it's fine. I try my best. Yeah. And knowing that it was a slim, a very short window of 35 days to make an impact. But what I didn't know is that I was going to get a lot of exposure yeah. uh, and put, you know, uh, through media and newspaper outlets and all that stuff. And for me, it's great because yeah. it gives me opportunities to talk about uh, things that I'm doing uh, with my track athletes. So 
it was just a, a win-win situation and um uh i felt like i was gonna get a very good support through media uh and i did i did even nationally yeah and it was great it was one of my advantages that i had and uh is it something that you're you're gonna explore again in the future is it something that you see yourself uh, uh potentially uh getting into or it's one of those things that you tried uh you experienced it and you know it's not more i'm gonna, so much I'm gonna get involved in the same district <laughs> the same district i'm gonna get involved uh the same district and uh i'm gonna run as a, so your decision is made you're yeah. gonna you're gonna be doing this again yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for sure and I'm, I'm gonna do well i'm gonna do well i'm convinced i'm gonna do well i did very well in 30 days but i'm gonna do extremely well now that i know when are the next uh municipal elections this is uh 21 yeah 21 yeah. two so years I'm, I'm gonna do very well because i feel that uh i feel that i got very very i was very very receptive when i was talking to people uh they invited me and uh we had great conversations uh, we made friends yeah. you know what i mean and for me it was an, a very a natural it was very natural mm -hmm. i had a great time talking to people they were very uh, supportive and they voted for me, but yeah. I just needed more time. Yeah, and I needed to know who who I'm going to see. Yeah, and I didn't have this information. How, how now many, I do. How many electors? Uh... Um, how many people running in my district? No, no. How many electors vote in that district? Oh, uh, it was fifteen thousand. Fifteen. The third hour was only fourteen. Uh, four, four, uh, four thousand. Thirteen, fourteen thousand electors. Four thousand. that voted. It's not good. It's horrible. But you know, what? look. It, I don't want to say it's normal, but municipal election traditionally has a pretty low turnout compared to provincial or to federal. Yeah, you see what's going on on Facebook? Everybody's complaining about everything. Yeah. So, you know what I mean? I think if you don't vote, you shouldn't have the right to complain. Well, I think people are going to complain no matter what. Um, but the, the more important thing for me is how do you get people more engaged, right? Uh, but, you know, we were at the provincial level, so our participation rates were more or less normal when you're hitting 65 70%. But when you're down to like 25 30 35 at the municipal level, you're wondering where is everybody? Yeah. And I can understand how people can naturally think that look man, you're complaining all the time garbage isn't picked up, potholes all over the place. Uh you know, bike lanes are blocked, uh, the parks are in horrible condition. People think these things every single day. And you would think that people would come out and just exercise the vote. But they don't care. They don't care. There's like this huge uh, disengagement in, in in politics. Me, that's one the one thing that always bothered me. It's I I understand what you're saying, but at the end of the day, that's never going to change. Right. Problem is, how do you get people to participate more? Right. You understand? I think that's the secret of yeah. um, <laughs> you know. But it was a great experience. I. Uh, I had no regrets. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, if I'm gonna come help you out, uh, if if you run again, I'll uh, I'll come and give you a hand. I appreciate it, man. I'm gonna come give you a hand. We'll see appreciate what we can it. do. Uh, <laughs> so uh, politics are done. Uh, I, I follow you online. You're you're coaching youngsters. Uh, for me, that's awesome. What is that all about? This is this is your business now that you have. Um, uh, an it's, not, it's not really a business. Um, what we do. Um, it's i started off doing it for fun and uh you know uh i had uh 
my track club, we have a track club that's sanctioned, recognized uh, by Athletics uh, Quebec. And we go and we take athletes and we train them. And uh, we teach them the fundamentals of running and competing and becoming great athletes and great uh, managing their schedule, managing their, their, their school schedule and working hard and building this car- uh, this this discipline mm-hmm. that is required uh, even after athletics, right? And, you know, we work hard. Uh, I have two athletes that are flirting with the possibilities right now, very realistic possibilities of getting a scholarship in the States, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, $250,000 US yeah. for education that's paid and your trips and your competition, well, your huge. coaching. It's a huge thing. And for me, what's gratifying is that um, – when they come back from schooling and and they contribute uh, to society and g- good people, you know you're doing your part to do an impact uh, in a certain way, and I enjoy that. Yeah. I enjoy that because uh, I devoted my life in athletics, and I have right now many provincial champions. I have two national champions, the fastest boy and girl in the country wow. from my track club. I'm very satisfied with the performance. So that what's I've the, what's the age here? How how young are they? And what's the youngest? What's the oldest? We we have different programs. We have a grassroots program uh, because I feel that uh, there's kids uh, between eight and twelve that it's very very healthy for them to deplete their energy systems. It's healthy. Mm-hmm. They're full of energy, mm-hmm. and you need them to go out there and and run and burn that energy. Mm-hmm. So we have these programs uh, for eight to twelve. It's a grassroots program. It's a very successful program. People seem to like it. And then after that, am I playing footsies with you? I'm no. sorry, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's something over here. That's yeah, it. That. Um, uh, and then we have a, a track uh, program for competitive and recreational use. And that's where uh, I spend a lot of time helping athletes uh, become uh, great athletes. And um, it's gratifying. And How many and, people total? Well, we're about 150 members in total. Well, that's huge, man. Yeah. And then that's not counting uh, all the after-school programs for sport. It should because I also do work for baseball and football and these kind of things. Okay. Hockey. And... Um, and and uh, we we also you know we also work with uh, guys that are uh, elite athletes looking to get the advantage by improving their overall speed. Yeah, which I know a little bit about how mm-hmm. to become faster. Mm-hmm. So we work also with NHL players in the summertime, That's nice. which is challenging but fun within itself because you know you get to follow their progression For throughout sure. the hockey season. So so so, so you, you, I mean your expertise obviously is more in track and athletics. What's the goal here? I mean, you want these kids obviously to excel, to 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 have some sort of discipline, uh, organize their lives. Is there a is there a goal where you want these kids to uh, reach, you know, the 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 highest uh, athletic uh, level. Uh, level, compete Olympics? I mean, is that a real is that a realistic possibility? I mean, our kids. The kids that come into this program, are they just doing it because it's part of their after-school program? Or is it because they really, like yourself, want to excel at those levels? Um, I don't. I never talk about potentially making the Olympics. Um, kids are smart. When uh, you start telling them stories and they're a little bit unrealistic, right? Um, 
they might lose trust on you. Mm -hmm. And uh, although I feel there's a lot of kids in my club that could potentially make it very far mm -hmm. in track, I don't just kind of like throw that off like yeah. that, right? It's I just tell them try your best and run your personal best. And once you're running your personal best, I'll give you an example. For me, I went to a track meet in Mexico, fifty-five thousand people, the best of the best in that competition, the world record holders in that race. I didn't go in with the uh, intentions of going over there and winning the race. Yeah, I went more realistically going over there with running a personal best, mm -hmm. my personal best. Yeah, that day my personal best happened to be the fastest time. Yeah. So in the end of the day, you 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 tell these athletes, try your personal best and. If you uh, run very, very hard and you reach a personal best, it's very gratifying. It, it's empowering. You feel good. Yeah, man, I ran a personal best. And then doesn't necessarily mean you have to use those as a shuttle to succeed uh, academically. You could go in the States and do very, very well, but you could also get uh, in the track program at McGill or Sherbrooke or Quebec City. There's a lot of opportunities a track could give that's going to make you a better person. Um, so when you're seeing this, uh, this talent, when you're seeing this potential, when you're seeing this ambition, um, what do you tell yourself? Do you tell yourself, okay, I got to keep an eye out on this kid. Um, let me, um, you know, get him close to, uh, the people that can help him progress and reach those levels. Uh, let me, uh, keep a closer eye on them. Uh, how does, how does, how do you feel? How do you work around this? I find the, the, the biggest challenge, the biggest challenge is, um, some kids are just lacking motivation or lacking the, the, the desire or lacking the confidence. And you find yourself uh, not wasting, but putting in a lot of energy to get their mind straight. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? Like get their mind straight. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's time consuming. And time consuming. So I find myself... Uh, well, there's a lot of... We, we live in a world of distractions too, right? Uh, cell phones, computers, all this, you know, this the social media... Uh, and I understand that the challenge is, okay, get away from all that stuff. Let's focus on what we have to do. You have kids that are seriously engaged in this? You know, serious engaged uh, to the average person that thinks serious is serious. Yeah. I don't know. What <laughs> in track. Yeah. But for where I, my point of view, uh, serious is a... Uh, in a different world. There's no social, there's no going out and getting hammered and then coming to practice and expecting to do good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I have some saying. athletes that, uh, you, you have, you have your own story to kind of compare to, uh, based on what you're seeing. Yeah. And is that the challenge? Do, it, do you, do you force yourself to get these kids kind of to say, look, man, you want to do this? Uh, forget about your friends. Uh, you know, leave social media. We didn't have social media. You know, in the 90s when you started, or 2000s, you know. Yeah, but it was a disadvantage. Look, I see, again, it's a twin sword because um, you're right. Uh, kids today have a lot of distractions, absolutely. Yeah. But they also have a lot of resources. Yeah. They can learn a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff that you're going through is in a book. Yeah. And you could open up and learn and avoid this mistake. Yeah. So when you have these uh, resources and uh, ways to to uh, you go on YouTube, watch uh, documentaries or uh, or scientific journals from universities, uh, f whether it's nutrition or whatever it is. This is the biggest advantage you have. Yeah. And we back in my time, we didn't have these yeah. uh, uh, these uh, opportunities. So 
um, you, 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 your learning curve is much, much slower than what it could have been today. Yeah. But on the flip side, there's a lot of distractions, ultra distractions. Now there's all kinds of things that are happening that it's easy for the athlete to lose uh, their, their focus, short-term and long-term. There's a lot of a lot of things going on, and I don't blame them. It's very difficult, but I feel that when you're you're passionate, when when you're passionate and you want something so badly, um, you, you you get you can't get distracted. It's not you're trying not to get distracted. It's just this. You know, for me, it was not a struggle not to eat junk food. Yeah, it was not a struggle. It was easy. It just it was not a, it was not something that I was uh, wrestling with. Mm-hmm. I was just I wanted to, to succeed so badly. And when you're in that zone, it's magical, man. Mm-hmm. It's the best place you want to be because you know you're putting in work, and then you're gonna go on the field and you're gonna work and it's gonna be exposed, and then you're gonna be on the podium. Well, especially when the it's results awesome. pay out, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so you, you sacrifice whatever you have to sacrifice, and at the end of the day, there's a there's a positive result attached to that. Yeah. Well, you know, going into a competition knowing that you're gonna kick ass, it's the best feeling. How, how do you feel now? On the <laughs> uh, you're on the you're on the other side now. You're training these kids. They're racing. How excited are you for them? How you know? How eager are you for them to succeed or uh, you know to? Uh... I get very excited in the beginning. Now five years in, I um, I uh, I I more uh, I get more excited when it's like let's say some very big important race to qualify or some you know then it's normal to get excited, but you know you 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 it it, it feels good going into the competition knowing that the athletes prepared because you know they're gonna run fast you know it because you do your tests yeah and you know uh what he doesn't practice or she doesn't practice or resemble will, will resemble pretty much on the track yeah and amplified by a five percent because you know uh, competition uh, people are watching uh you know uh, adrenaline is kicking and things are going well they're gonna fire faster they're gonna become better so you know and when when in practice things are not going as planned then you probably are less confident that they're gonna do well but sometimes athletes have the eye of the tiger and they just perform when they have to perform whether they're in shape or not yeah. in shape they just become warriors and that is the difference of uh, going far in track and field and not going far. How much of what you do now is a result of things that you either didn't do when you were uh, competing or, you know, things that you did well? See that I, like how much of what you do, like everything that you give to these kids, okay, all the, all, all, you know, all the knowledge and everything. How much of that comes from your own experience? A lot. Yeah. A lot comes from my experience. I I'm unique because I lived in Ottawa, I lived in Edmonton, I lived uh, uh, in uh, Florida, and I've worked with great coaches. I all had different philosophies mm-hmm. on how to go thing, and um, some I agreed, some I disagreed. Yeah. And uh, together and collectively, you come up with you think what's the best, right? And that what makes you a unique coach. And um, that uh, uh, marriage with uh, my personal experience, um, not only uh, how I trained, but how I felt, mm-hmm. what goes through uh, my mind, um, I can relate to athletes. And I feel that 
uh, I always say to myself, I would have been a great coach for myself. Yeah. I would have been a terrific coach for myself because there's things that you see and you know you could have improved uh, your mindset, the way you approach your training. Um, sometimes you need somebody to uh, guide you the right direction. And uh, These kids obviously know who you are. They do. Some kid didn't know. He came up to me only like three months later and he's like, hey, man. I looked you up. What the fuck? <laughs> so you actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> so now I go, you're going to take it more seriously when I talk. Yeah. And uh, he was like starstruck a little bit, right? It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. It, it, it's funny, but at the same time, it's a reality check, man. You know, the, the years go by and you come to, you come to, the, to the point where at least for you, I mean, you know, you're a successful and, you know, popular athlete we had in Canada. You think that, you know, any 12-year-old uh, would know you. And I'm going to tell you, no, they don't. Because I tell them, uh, you know, it's a funny story. I'm sitting over there telling them a story about Donovan Bailey and Michael Who's Donovan jo Bailey? Uh, not, not even. I was saying <laughs> Donovan Bailey, Michael Johnson, they ran 150 meters uh, to see who's the fastest man in the in the world. And I'm explaining the story and they're all looking at me mesmerized they're like wow lord and then and then uh i tell them come on guys you remember that they're like no <laughs> they I, go, come on. I said i said to them how old were you in 1997 i was coach i'm born in 2003 <laughs> started realizing i'm getting old man. <laughs> who am i talking to who am i talking to <laughs> oh god uh do you ever um you obviously have a lot of contacts in uh, in the industry. Any former racers or anything? Do you bring these people? Do uh, does anyone help you out? Do you tell them, look, uh, like Bruni, for example, right. come over, talk to these kids, or help me uh, coach them, or uh, do you utilize any of the contacts you had, or any of the coaching staff, or even athletes? Well, look, I think one of my advantages right now is when I go uh, door to door, um, when I go to knocking at doors and asking people to uh, to get involved, uh, I feel that I have a credibility of what I'm talking about, right? If I, if a two-time Olympian says, hey, uh, we this is what I'm trying to do, would you be interested to hop on board? Yeah. They're very receptive uh, based on, you know what I mean, of my experience. Um, I, I, Bruni, certain, uh, he's, to me, he's a very, very uh, influential person in track. He's a Hall of Famer. He's a, uh, I consider him a very good friend. He's coming on the podcast, by the way. He nice. confirmed. I'm just waiting to, to get a date. I hope he says the same thing. Uh, he, we're we'll, good friends. We'll compare and contrast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to me, he's uh, uh, a very, I consider him a very close friend. Um. But I, I do take into consideration when I'm in public with him, he, he gets solicited continuously. Yeah. And I don't want my friendship to be a, a thing where I'm constantly asking him to come and da-da-da. Yeah, yeah. But when I feel that um, somebody can benefit from it, um, he's very receptive mm. to my uh, – when I ask him, uh, you know what I mean? But I also don't want to abuse – you know yeah. what I mean? My, it's yeah. my friend. and yeah. uh, uh, But – Every time I ask them to to kind of like um, have a chat with some of my athletes or go out there, and he's been very receptive, and I'm grateful for that. Um, and I have other friends that are very knowledgeable in that field. Uh, 
very inspirational in different ways. And um, I try to keep my athletes um, uh, surrounded by these strong and, and, and good people because it's going to rub off them, right? And For they're sure. going to they're gonna find um, motivation to to do their best. Mm-hmm. So I do have great friends. Well, yeah. it's, it's crazy now because you're at that position of mentorship, right? I mean, you're taking these youngsters. Uh, some are just doing it for fun. They just want, you know, the extra exercise or, you know, it's part of a school program. And then some, you probably see the potential and you have to kind of uh, mold these kids and they look up to you now. Right. right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a huge responsibility. I think um, it's beyond track. Uh, sometimes uh, I have some athletes that got scholarships in the States and, um, you know, for me, there's a kid that came up to me. Uh, he's an honorable student, really, really smart, bright kid, you know, hard worker. I remember once he shows up late in practice and I said to him, hey, man, you're late. He goes, sorry, coach, uh, I had to take the bus. And uh, I took, I walked and then I took uh, and the metro and I go to the metro. How, you know, the metro from here is far. Yeah, it's five kilometers. I had to walk, so I apologize. I'm late. Imagine how determined that yeah, kid the drive. is, and 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 he comes without an attitude. He apologizing. Yeah. So when I, you know, the, the, to go back to the, his story is uh, he's an honorable student, a very very bright kid, and he's a great athlete, Nash, a provincial champ. Mm-hmm. He's a provincial champion, and uh, and his story is I I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? He's like, oh, I wanna. I want to um, be uh, like a physio. And I said, listen, man, that's great. But you're an uh, honorable student, very, very bright. I think you are you're you should aim a little higher. Yeah. School is easy for you. Go into school. Uh, go to medical field and stuff like that. He goes, the medical field, it's eight years. I said to him, you did track for four. <laughs> you're right. He goes, so now he's excelling very, very well in in, in schooling. And to add to what you're saying, I don't only push, try to push uh them to succeed and track yeah. but just be like i hope one day he is a doctor yeah. and i hope one day uh he comes up to me and say man uh you you kind of like uh changed my trad my trajectory yeah. and i trajectory yeah and i became uh uh you know uh, a, a better person yeah great i've done my job it's gratifying how do you how do you feel though at you know i mean you, you have all the knowledge you can see things and you can probably see the potential better than anyone else and you have these kids now uh, and who are still young. I mean, they don't know what they're going to do. They don't know where they're going. They don't know, you know what's ahead of them. You see this potential. How do you hold yourself back from telling these kids, listen, man, school's important, but you can have a bright career in sports or, you know, and, you know, anything else that you have the expertise to kind of pick up. Right. It's kind of like back in your story where you're like, look, man, school's not for me, but, you know, I wish I had... Uh, someone tell me, uh, you know, to encourage you to just follow what you did and not to, to stress you about all the other stuff that probably weren't as important. Right. Uh, what When it comes to that, I think uh, universally, I think uh, rational people would say stay in school and work hard and, and, and because education in the end of the day is what takes you very, very far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not always the same for everybody. Yeah. But for me, I try to give a positive message and uh, look, it's to my disadvantage to have my top athletes leave my club to go study in the States. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. You worked super hard. Talent detection, t- 
taking them in, convincing them to stay, train them, make them provincial champion, make them national champion. And then you see them leave. And then you see them leave. So it bears true to what I'm saying. Yeah. You want them to succeed not only in track. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, yeah. you want them to do the best decisions for their best outcome. And for me, um, you know what I mean? Uh, I, I try, you, you know, um, you, you try to explain uh, the, the reality. And uh, it's very tough to start telling a kid to leave school and start doing track because to get to the highest level in track and field is ultra difficult. It's very, not a lot of people do careers in track. Remember that. Well, for sure. I mean, look, it only lasts as as long as you can tough it out. Right. Right. I, at 30 years old, I, you're uh, done. How difficult is it for athletes to, to, to start a new life? Uh, I mean, you, you fell into, uh, into, um, uh, into a field that obviously you knew you're coaching, uh, you're training, and it's something that you uh, that you understand that you're very uh, that, that you're very good at. But you know, a hundred a hundred sprinters worldwide. What do these guys do? Um, look, I, I so because like I you said before, right? Therapy. Yeah. I'm I'm a member of the Association of um, Complementary Medicine, so yeah. I I have a background in sports therapy. Okay, but um. You know, I think uh, generally speaking, when athletes retire from sports, um, and I, I don't want to degrade any other sports, but usually track and field athletes are um, very proactive. They find ways to yeah. do things. I follow my former teammates, and they're all doing incredible things. You know what I mean? They, they, they because track and field is a discipline. And it's it's not anything for and then when you you play a sport which you don't play in track and field yes. but when you play a sport for so many years I can understand how it could be difficult right but in track and field uh, the career is very short um, education is really based around performance yeah like in the states you don't get a scholarship if you don't uh, do good in school yeah and. Typically, a career doesn't last 15 years, right? It lasts very, very short. So you have your run, you represent Canada, you move on. Yeah. And it's easy to do that transition. It's more Is difficult. It? Well, for me, it was easy. Yeah. You know, once uh, when I retired, I went to New York for um, a road trip with my buddy. Mm. And uh, I, I was at the, uh, the hotel. I opened my bag. And I had a panic attack because I didn't, I, I didn't identify my running gear or my spikes. And because I'm always in hotels, in traveling for competition, I would always be used to seeing my spikes. Yeah. And now, <gasps> where are what? they? What? The I, forgot, I forgot my shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but then I realized I no longer run, right? So uh, for me, it wasn't, uh, it was uh, generally speaking through uh, my teammates, I don't see uh, it too difficult. Yeah. Um, but I can see how difficult it is when someone does baseball or, or hockey for 15 years or even beyond that. You know, 15 professional and then you retire. Uh, yeah, you could be a wrecking ball. You don't know what else to yeah. do. You, you know, and you, you live so many stimulus yeah. that it's very difficult to to recreate in an average Start lifestyle. over kind of thing, yeah. You know? And it, I, 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 um, you know, imagine you're in a stadium of fifty-five thousand people uh, celebrating your race, and then uh, one day you find yourself uh, in New York with no shoes. <laughs> you don't where, know what's going on. Where are my shoes? Uh, you still follow uh, the teams? Uh, yeah. Still, yeah, yeah. They're. Um, I, I enjoy track. Huh? Track is fun for me. 
whether I'm doing it or coaching it or watching it, it's uh, <laughs> I it's a very funny sport. It's very and you know I um it's too bad. Did you know this? Listen to this. Did you know there's the sport that gets receives the most scholarships in the states? Which sport is it? it is it track? Yeah. It's track. Yeah. Be beyond football, beyond all that stuff. Why? Yeah. Because um. I don't know why, but I know that uh, the Americans uh, like the military approach, the the discipline, time management, working hard, uh, you know, that kind of mentality. So track and field, every school in the States has a track has a team, yeah. and it's a huge thing. It's part of their, their it's part of their schooling. Yeah. And the, 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 it's everybody did track in the States. Everybody in college does, does track because it keeps them f- uh, fit. It's a very unique sport. Um, it's you suffer a lot in track, yeah, and um, that's why they give a lot of scholarships, you know. Um, any up and coming athletes? The uh, grass is obviously doing well. Uh, he performed well. Uh, who's up and coming? Any any names that we should be remembering? Or I mean, is the grass uh, there to stay? I mean, he's probably the future of the track and field team. I think in Canada. Yeah, yeah. he's a terrific athlete. Um, I think he, to me, in my eyes, um, I don't know the guy, but I think uh, what he accomplished. Um, and he has a very unorthodox uh, technique. I remember the last Olympics, a lot of the commentators were talking about how unorthodox his technique is. He has like a weird uh, chicken finger, chinger, his arm goes a yeah. little weird. But he, he since corrected that. But in the end of the day, what he accomplished uh in uh 2016 on the olympics i uh, to me knowing what it takes and it's three medals at the olympics yeah. man, it's unbelievable it's it, and you know how tough it is to run the 100 meters four rounds and then run the 300 uh, the 200 meters another two three oh he ran the 200 too yeah oh, I didn't, okay. yeah i think he finished second wow yeah, yeah. I remember he he kind of like um, challenged you uh, saying oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the uh, tryout. The, yeah, the, that look there. And then they kind of like laughed. And yeah, it was yeah, like yeah. A, it was like a that iconic. Guy's, that uh, guy's video a machine, footage. man. That Usain Bolt, man. It's just next level. You would think that with age you'd slow down. Right. How old is he now? He uh, it's it was his fourth Olympic, the last one or the third? I don't know how old he is. He's probably 33, 34. 3334 Good for him man honestly Wow uh anything else we'll wrap it up uh want to plug anything what are you doing uh anything that uh, we should uh keep our eye out for you other than the program I no I think uh it's always a pleasure to uh, meet people and uh, talk about my experiences and if it could um, likewise man likewise yeah. where, where, where do kids see you if ever they want to train or if they want uh... Uh, they could visit my website it's our website at uh, finalpush.ca and uh, there's information on our programs and stuff that we do and um, I think uh, if they want to uh, give track and field a try to uh, to contact us and and then get evaluated and see if it's uh, something that uh, they enjoy doing. Awesome. And in two years, we'll be seeing your face back on the on the posters? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I appreciate you coming, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks. It's my pleasure.